try that again. Good morning. I don't think, and I don't think I can now, Josh introduced Judah, did you? And, and they've already left. I tell you, you blew it, bud. Yeah, okay. Well, she'll come back. Okay, be in a few years. So next time Chelsea's in here, we'll, we'll introduce the new member of Marysville Church of the Nazarene, uh, Judah Huff, and so it's exciting. Did you enjoy the video? I don't know if you noticed who that was, but that was um, Colton Green that, that made the assist to the, to the kid on Marion, and I said in the first service, it was amazing in a couple of aspects. First, that was the first pass Colton made all year long, and uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't, but you know what I really liked about it is Colton didn't even hesitate, did he? I mean, it wasn't even had to think through the process, so what should I do? He caught the ball and gave it right back to the kid. And I'm just so thankful for the character of our kids. Uh, All the kids that were up here from Olivet, and then Andrew was with them as well. Um, You know, I'm so proud of them when I see them. They're they're such awesome kids. Uh, One of the characteristics of this church, one of the strong points of this church is you have developed strong, mature, young men and women. And, and I got to tell you, every time I see them do things, I'm, I'm amazed. And, and it's because you've invested in them. And I really appreciate uh, that because I've got kids that, that I'm wanting to, to live in the same way. And so uh, just another awesome example. And then Rebecca playing the piano. That, that was beautiful. He did a great job and just a lot of things going on today. Uh, Vicki, I told her she, she did have a song that we were going to do at the close, but I told her to go be with her dad. You need to remember uh, Kurt and Doris and your prayers. Uh, Kurt doesn't have long and, unless God radically intercedes. And, 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 you know, all of us face death, and, and Kurt's at that point. And what I'm thankful for is God has done a marvelous thing in Kurt's life these last few weeks. It's been amazing what God has done, and only God could do it. And so I'm thankful for that, but we're praying with the family as, as they face the end. Last week, Pam Merriman's uh, brother uh, passed away on, on, on Monday, and, and then Bob Brake's son had passed away on Sunday. And all, all this is reminding us kind of of the, the series. Uh, you know, we, we, we have new babies, and, and then we have those who are facing death. And we've been talking about vapor, seeking the eternal in our fading physical bodies. And, and we've been dealing with this series with this premise, our physical life is limited. Uh, tomorrow is not guaranteed yesterday is gone all we have today and we live with this this very real limitation understanding that that these physical bodies don't last forever but but it doesn't make our physical time any less valuable our limited life increases the value of today it increases the value of of what we do with this day this is the only day that you're guaranteed and how will you use it what will you do with this opportunity called today that god has given us and so we've been tracing through this and we talked about living a life of love, faith, and hope, and love being that eternal virtue, that eternal characteristic where faith and hope is expressed in the present, in a present tangible way in today. And, and, and we, we've talked about leaving a legacy. We've talked about living with a level of urgency. And now we're going to talk about eternity for the next two Sundays. If you're visiting with us, we don't always talk about these things, but if you're visiting with us, today we're going to talk about hell. And uh, it's not my favorite subject but it is a subject we have to talk about if we are going to engage with God's Word. Um, Although our physical bodies are temporary, 
we have eternal souls. God has endowed humanity with this eternal soul. And so this physical body will break down and fade and die, but yet there will remain for every person who hears my words today an eternal soul. So we're going to talk about hell today. Now, why talk about these things? I want you to imagine for a second that you have a deadly disease. And there, there's a cure for this disease, but, but it's, it's a very significant disease. Unless something is done for it, you will die. And, and I, as your pastor, as your friend, see all the symptoms of that disease, and yet I don't tell you about the cure. Would it be very compassionate of me to ignore those symptoms and ignore that reality and not talk about it? It wouldn't be very compassionate, would it? Or imagine that, that you realize that you have the symptoms. You're having pain shooting down your arm, and you're having pain in your jaw, and you're having shortness of breath. You know, the symptoms of a heart attack, and, and there's things that they can do to treat people who are having heart attacks. Who, who hates going to the doctor? Raise your hand, right? But you're having symptoms, symptoms like that, most likely you won't just crawl in the woods and, and ignore it, but you'll call 911 or have someone you love call 911. You will deal with those symptoms. And so it's, it's important that as mature people, we be able to talk about hard subjects. Mature people are able to talk about hard subjects in a mature way, and eternity, hell, heaven. These are difficult, hard subjects, but we have to be able to believe and talk in a a proper way. Not in an ugly way, not in a fighting way. I know several years ago, Rob Bell wrote his book, Love Wins, and I got to tell you, I, I... I, whether, whatever you want to say about Rob Bell, I was disappointed in how some believers responded because I didn't think it was very Christian. You know, we have to love each other even in the midst of all of this. Even when we're talking about very difficult subjects and very difficult topics, we have to love one another through it. And so with that in mind, I... I've got some um, resources that are in the back that that you can take home and read because I don't want this to be the end of your consideration of what I'm talking about today. Uh, I want you to think about this. I want you to study it. I want you to look at the Word of God. I I want you to to talk with a godly person that you trust and know. I want you to pray about this. I I want you to allow the Spirit to move uh, through this conversation. Uh, And and so the resources are in the back of the room. You can take them them and use them as you will. Um, I, I want us to use our brains. If you have a brain today, say amen. amen. About two-thirds of you. Um, the rest of you, I want you to find a friend with a brain. No, we, we all have brains. So, you know, in the, in the church, I, I've always appreciated this image. The church is not a place where you take your head off and put it beside you and you just feel with your heart and respond emotionally. This is a place. As Wesleyans, this is a place where we can think. And so I'm going to speak, I, I've got a message, and, but, but I want you to be thinking through as we talk about this very difficult subject. Now, Francis Chan wrote a book, uh, Erasing Hell, and, and quite frankly, he wrote it in response to, to Love Wins, Rob Bell's book, and most of you have heard this. If you're going to read Love Wins, you better read Erasing Hell. 
because it's point-counterpoint. And, and Francis Chan says in his book, don't believe something just because you want to, and don't embrace an ideal just because you've always believed it. Believe what is biblical. Test all of your assumptions against the precious words that God gave us in the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're, we're not just, uh, and we all have assumptions on heaven and hell. We all have uh, ways we've thought about it. But, but I want us to test our assumptions against the words of God, uh, the word of God. And not even just the word of God, the words of Jesus. I, I'm reminded of an Old Testament story, and I, and I can't even remember the king. But, but the, the king, the people had strayed from, from God's word and and from the law, and they're cleaning out the temple. And in the midst of cleaning out the temple, they find the book of the law, and they begin to read through God's words, and they just begin to weep. As they realize that all of their philosophies and all their theologies had somehow fallen away from the word of God. When we talk about this important subject, When we talk about heaven, when we talk about hell, when we talk about eternity, I believe that it's important that somehow we we center that in the words of Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 36. In this entire chapter, we're only going to read part of this chapter, this entire chapter involves Jesus preaching on eternity, judgment, and hell. It's not what some other person's saying. This is what the incarnate Son of God, as we see Jesus, is saying. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's, it's words in red. These are the words of Jesus. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to, say to, say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did this to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did you see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, 
but the righteous into eternal life. Now, now before we go any further in this, if you want to understand what shapes my philosophy or my theology as a pastor, if you haven't got this from me, one of the things that is very important to me is I believe the church should be involved in caring for people on the margins of society. Those who, who some people ignore, the hurting, the broken, the disenfranchised, the ones that are hungry, the ones that are naked, the ones that, that have no one else looking out for them, the church should be on the front line. I had a pastor one time and, and when I was at Trenton and we, you know, we were heavily involved in homeless shelters and, and doing feeding programs and buying coats for people and doing all these kind of things and it was a person I trusted and he said Paul no one has ever built their church that way and I told him I said I'm not trying to build my church I'm just doing what Jesus told us to do I want you to see here that this is extremely important. And and as we care for the least of these, we are following the mandate of Jesus. It's not just social programming. It's just not feeling good about ourselves. This is what our Savior commands that we do. You know, we're ordinary people following Jesus. Ordinary people follow Jesus into the mission field. And the mission field is not just in Africa or Asia or someplace or like that. Foreign. The mission field is right outside these walls. Today, you will encounter one of the least of these. And Jesus is expecting us to respond to them like he did. Loving them, caring for them. But that's not really the message today. There's some things you can see in Jesus' words. And and once again, these are Jesus' words. These aren't my words. These are are what Jesus is saying. How we live this physical life determines our eternity. It's greater than just head knowledge. And, and, you know, we're we're full of information, right? We have a lot of information. We live in the information age. And, and, you know, we, we, we can study the Bible and read the Bible and read about the Bible and read all sorts of things. And, and, and it's greater than just head knowledge. It, it, it's more than just a feeling or emotion. It's, it, it, it's, it's this love lifestyle. Jesus is, is, in essence, I believe, saying... Those who get it love me so much that it has infected every part of their life. That it changes how they live and love towards other people. That that somehow it it shaped them into people with, as Vicki read, that have the mind of Jesus Christ. And when they see hurting and broken people, they see Jesus hurting and broken and they go out and try to serve him. They're living this, this life of love. You, you know, you ever heard of Mother Teresa? <laughs> yeah. You know, Mother Teresa just believed that scripture was literally true. And so when she's cradling someone's head in Calcutta as they're dying, that, that's not some person that's created the image of Jesus Christ. In her mind, she was cradling the head of Jesus Christ. <laughs> i got to move on or I'll get stuck on that because i got to tell you, it's significant. How do you see other people? Jesus says, when you see other people, see me. Because I love them so much, 
I want you to love them like I love them. How we live this physical life determines our eternity. But but that's not this eternity we're talking about, this separation. Jesus is separating. He's got goats on his left. Make your best goat sound over here, okay? Nobody can make it. Russell, I know you can make a goat sound. No, there you go. And your sheep on the right, can I have a sheep sound? All right. Sheep, goats, sheep, and there's a separation based on how they live their physical life, this eternal separation. And that is what hell is. Hell is eternal separation from God. You know, get all out of your mind all these images of, of, of fire and, and, you know, that, that, that's important imagery, but it's more significant than just a fire. Get, a, get all your images of the devil with his, his pitchfork and his, his towel and all those things. But hell is eternal separation from God. And I'll just say this. Hell's not the devil's dominion. Hell's where the devil ends up. There's no dominion there. Jesus uses, when he talks about hell, and he he doesn't use it in this passage. He he talks about the lake of fire and separation. But Jesus typically uses this word, hell, Gehenna. And and there's a lot of discussion on on the word Gehenna. Um, You know, some, there's questions of the the timing. At some point, it's a trash dump outside of Jerusalem. But when that happens is is a major historical question. Um, but Gehenna at the very essence is this. The valley of Gehenna is outside the walls of Jerusalem. And the kings of Israel, at times in their history, when they decided they wouldn't serve God and they would serve idols anymore, or when they would serve idols, they would sacrifice their babies to the god Moloch. They, they would literally kill their babies in sacrifice to this idol. I'm not going to get into the details of how they did it, but it was awful. And so this became a place that was known to the people at the time of Jesus. When, when he talked about Gehenna, they, they weren't thinking, oh, Jesus is talking about a trash dump outside of town. But they were talk, he was talking about a God-forsaken place. A, a place of pure evil. A place you don't go. A, a place outside the realm of God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. An awful place. A place where the living dead would reside. A, a place where the unclean would go. Where, where carcasses would be left to rot. So when Jesus is using this word Gehenna, it's more than just a trash dump. It is the very image of those who would reject God, even go so far as to sacrifice their own kids. God forsaken. The other image you see is this. In Revelation, they use the phrase, the the lake of fire. And and there's a couple significant images in that. And and when when you talk about hell and the lake of fire, 
and, and this eternal separation, you're talking about the same thing. It's the same ideal, this separation from God. And, and it's compared to a lake of fire. And, and, and it's an apocalyptic writing. And so they're using uh, imagery to help us get a picture of what this means. And, and so they use the image of a lake. And, and the lake is this image. When, when you see lake and, and waters in the Bible, most times it is an image of chaos. It's the ideal of, you know, to the, to the Israelite to be out in the middle of the ocean is to be out in the middle of chaos, the unknown. And so when they use that kind of writing, that's what they're talking about. And so there's this, the beautiful imagery of the Bible is when God creates, the waters covers the earth and then he begins to bring land and order. He's bringing order from chaos. That's the story of God. God bringing order from chaos. And then in Revelation, you see people choosing chaos over order. And fire is an imagery of judgment. So so what they're saying through the imagery is there is a place that is separate from God that is full of chaos and is full of judgment. All of these images are appropriate when you talk about this eternal separation from God. Now, I can't, I can't paint a dire enough picture of hell. I can't. Jesus says, he causes it to, the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He, he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. You think, well, what's that mean? He, Jesus is saying, my heavenly Father is so loving that in this place, he blesses you whether you're righteous or you're unrighteous. We just live in the midst of blessing. <laughs> Every good gift comes from the Father above. And so we live in this place of hope and love and joy, even when we don't claim him as a Savior, Right? God just, man, this is a good place just to stop for a second and reflect. Our God is so good. He loves you whether you love him or not. And he blesses you whether you acknowledge it or not. But what about this God-forsaken place? This place that's removed from the blessing of God, the, the love of God. It's the anonym of God's blessings. It's a place, you know, in Revelation it talks about in Revelation 21, read it and think of the opposite of that when you want to think about the separation from God. Because in Revelation 21, it gives this imagery of a, of a God who's wiping every tear from your eye, who's healing, who's lifting, who's giving life. There's joy, there's purpose. Hell is this place of pain and sorrow and regret. It's this place of chaos, no love, no hope. And it's impossible for me to paint a dire enough picture. So they use images of, you know, the worm never dying, of a fire that never ends. And these aren't the words that others have spoken about hell. These are the things Jesus said about hell. Now, sometimes you'll hear people and they'll say, well, in the Old Testament, there is no concept of hell. And you know what? They're right. They have the concept of Sheol in the Old Testament. But, but they really don't have a fully formed ideal or theology of hell 
during the Old Testament time. And, and some people will say, well, that, you know, that, there's no theology there. Where does it come from? It's, you know, it's man-made. But Jesus preaches about hell. I want you to understand that when you look at the Old Testament, they don't even have a fully formed theology of Jesus until the New Testament. And so to to use as an argument against this ideal that Jesus teaches that it's not in the Old Testament only goes to the fact that God has been revealing and his best revelation came through his son, Jesus Christ. But we have to be careful here. See, see, Jesus talks about hell, but but I want you to know that most of the time when Jesus talks about hell, when he has the sinful people come to him, you know, the blatantly sinful people, the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman, those who are far outside the, the realm of grace and love, the ones that are missing the mark like big time, you never once see Jesus talk about hell, do you, Bob? <laughs> you don't. You know what he talks to hell about? Religious folks. Jesus talks about hell with Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. And, and see, in the church, we're, you know, we're Christians, and, and we hear that name Pharisee, and we hear scribe and Sadducees, and, and we think, oh, well, those were evil people. No, they weren't. Get that out of your mind. They were misguided religious people. Their priorities were wrong. Their ideals were wrong. But they were good people. They were the kind of people you'd want to live next to you because they went to church on Sunday and they mowed their grass. This is who Jesus used hell with most of the time. In the scripture, Jesus says, if you have a dispute with your brother, take it to the council. If you call your brother fool, you're in danger of hellfire. You know, that's significant. You know why? Fool is religious language. It's what the Pharisees and scribes would say about the people that didn't get it. The people didn't come to church on Sunday. The people that, that, that weren't good, upstanding people, they were fools. And it was proper religious language. It's language you find in the Old Testament. It, it was language that applied to somebody that just didn't get how good God was. Jesus says, you're in danger of hell. You know, you're all good people. This is the kind of thing Jesus would talk to us about. Are you know what I'm trying to do? See, this isn't all about just cleaning yourself up and, and saying the right words and, and come to church on Sunday. But, but somehow, if we want to inherit this, this eternal life, if we want to avoid this place of eternal separation, then somehow, as good religious people, we have to come to this radical ideal that God wants to change every aspect of our life. He wants us to be givers and not takers. He wants us to be people who just love other people, who share, who are generous, who see people, even people that don't seem to be getting it in a different way. So why do we talk about this? Why why hell? Three very short things, and we're going to close here in a second. God is love, but love 
must allow a choice. In other words, love that is forced is not love. And fundamentally, we believe God is love. But in that love, there is this inherent need that choice be present. So God gives us the ability to reject his love. You ever have everybody that you love that didn't love you back? Right? Teenagers, you'll have that a lot, okay? God gives us, as free moral agents, the ability to reject his love. We can see the light and reject the light. And as I'm saying that, most of you can think of probably instances in your life where the light shone, shone real brightly and you just said, no, God. Love allows us to choose. But our rejection of God does not eliminate our eternal nature. I'll just tell you, I don't believe in annihilation. I don't. I believe that the Bible, when the Bible says God, we were created with an eternal soul, I see nowhere in the, in the Bible where that eternity is withdrawn. I, I can't be universalist. It's a beautiful ideal that somehow, at some point, everybody will just get it and become, you know, live in the kingdom of heaven. But the Bible doesn't support it. You know, as I read the words of Jesus, and I don't have anything else to go off of, folks. As I read the words of Jesus, hell is separation, and hell is eternal, and hell is based on our choices in this life. C.S. Lewis writes this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it will be opened. To choose hell is to choose our own way over God's way. Choose to be separate. I saw this quote, and I I like this, that that I've seen this in other places. Hell's doors lock from the inside. Yeah, I know there's questions when you talk about these subjects. You don't have any different questions than I have. I think of myself, and I think of the light that I've been given. Oh, my goodness. Before I could think, I was in church. I've never been away from the light other than self-choice. You know, when I was early in my, my, you know, before I could even begin to do anything, my mom singing hymns to me and, you know, praying scripture over me. And I think about the opportunity of my life. And then I think, you know, of these people who are living in different places and, and with different levels of opportunity. And it's hard to understand, right? As compassionate, rational, loving people, if that does not have a concern in your heart, you're not thinking this through. We are blessed with opportunity and light, but not all are blessed in the same way. But then I think about the cross. I think about what Jesus did to bring salvation. And it makes me think that maybe God is 
fair and just enough to somehow balance this out? I don't know all the answers. I don't. But I do believe that the God who would send his own son to die in my place has a plan and an ideal that's more compassionate and loving than mine. I had a pastor, Josh and I's pastor growing up, Dan Walters, at Tri-County Nazarene, and I'll never forget one time he was talking about the topic of hell, and he said, um, he rhetorically asked himself, Pastor Dan, do you really believe in hell, an eternal hell? And he answered himself, he said, yes, I do, but you will have to step over the crucified Christ to get there. Folks, there is an eternal hell, and, and, and there's a choice that we have to make. So the question I'm going to close with, stand with me if you will. You know, beyond the what ifs, and the, beyond the what about this person in this circumstance, beyond all that stuff, what about you? In the light that you're in, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? John 3, 16, 17 says this, because this, this is the heart of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. We're going to wait for a second. I know this is a a sermon that people will flock to the altar over, and I understand that. But if the Spirit's dealing with you and talking, I wouldn't wait. Maybe it's something in your own heart that you need to let go of. Maybe you're praying for a loved one. There's not going to be any judgment, but this is too serious not to take care of now. So we're just going to wait for a second, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Who would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm dealing with this? And I, the Spirit's dealing with me. Would you just raise your hand real quick? Can I see your hands? I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, right now I'm... I never feel more inadequate than I do right now. Uh, to talk about eternity, heaven and hell... Lord, sometimes I'm just at a loss that you'd call me to preach. And Lord, I've done my best, but I need your spirit to do what I cannot do. Help us, Lord, as we consider this issue, to not just let it go here. It's too important. Help us to take some of the resources home and to read and to study and to pray and just to continue to, to ponder what eternity might be and what it might look like, and, and how you're prompting us to live. I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling. Give them just a fresh touch from your Holy Spirit. Your, your word promises that if we sin, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. So help us, Lord, to, to live like that to live as confessing Christians willing to allow you to save us, to lead us, to guide us, to fill us, and to change us. Now, Lord, this this group of people belong to you. You love them. 
I pray, Lord, that you will anoint them as they go from this place. As they leave this place, may we realize we're not leaving your presence, but, Lord, where we go, you go. And so, Lord, help us to show you, to love others. And, Lord, may the least of these that we encounter today sense our love for them and our love for you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. God bless.